Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast, Season 5 kickoff, Mike. Uh, official. That's right, it is official. Uh, for Mr. Mike McDaniel over there, I am Joey Weaver. We are so excited to be back, starting off Season 5. Uh, we told you at the end of Season 4, just a little over a week ago, that we were going to try to wait a little bit of time um, before we start our team previews. Just in case we could get some little more guidance on what might be going on this season. And Mike, boy, as much as the podcast scheduling gods taketh away, sometimes they giveth. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Now, so we were planning on recording, uh, as we sit here, Wednesday night, the 29th. We were planning on recording tonight all along. Mm-hmm. This Ideally, like we Sunday just... we agreed on this. Exactly. And we were plan. Our plan was to just go through and do like, like you mentioned on the last podcast, Joey, like try to do like a season preview of the entire conference before we talk to all the individual beat writers and experts, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and bring them in to interview like we always do. We want to kind of go through that that process. And man, everything got turned upside down around four o'clock Eastern time this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually saw a couple tweets on my timeline. People were like, man, do you remember what the ACC was like at 4 o'clock? Because <laughs> at 5 p.m., everything had just completely turned upside down, especially for Virginia Tech fans. Yeah, everything totally on its head. Um, and there were there were really two major pieces of news, one more on a micro level, the other on a much more macro level. And, Mike, let's just let's go ahead and start with the micro level. And that was news that was very specifically concerning your Virginia Tech Hokies. Um, we got word first this afternoon uh, that – Rising, what, junior cornerback, Caleb Farley? Yep, Richard uh, Jr. He will not be playing for Virginia Tech this fall. Um, he is just going to sit the season out, and he is going to prepare for the NFL draft. Um, that is huge news. He is not only uh, probably, and correct me if, if you've got other ideas here, Mike, but correct me if I'm wrong, he's probably the best single player at his position on Virginia Tech's roster. He's... Yes. One of the best defensive backs, like a first-round NFL draft prospect going into next year. One of the best defensive players in the conference and in the country in general. Absolute stud. And now Virginia Tech's defense going to be without him going into this year. Yeah, I mean, Caleb Farley at defensive back is an All-American candidate. He's not only one of the best defensive backs uh, in the ACC, Uh, He's one of the best defensive backs in the country. He has a very good opportunity next April to be one of the highest Virginia Tech draft picks on the defensive side of the football ever, except for maybe Bruce Bruce Smith. Which is saying something. (laughs) Which is saying something. I mean, Tech's put a lot of guys in the league, um, and they've had a lot of guys get drafted in in the first few rounds of the draft, and I think Farley has the potential to be a top 10 or 15 pick, maybe even higher. So him opting out is pretty significant. Um, 
for a number of reasons. I mean, number one, you know, him making the best decision for his health and his family. And he lost his mother um, to illness uh, back in early 2018. And he mentioned that in the video uh, that he posted today. So that was kind of a part of his decision. He's like, you know, I can't afford to lose another family member. Uh, and I, and I think the, the thing to consider here, uh, too, is that, you know, Farley's been around the football program at Virginia Tech. It's interesting. Um, I'm going to be careful how I word this, Joey. It's interesting that Virginia Tech has not released their COVID numbers um, on a case-by-case basis. They've been conducting walkthroughs, I know, um, but they haven't been you know, doing anything more than that, which I know is kind of standard protocol on one hand, but on the other, there have been some rumors about potential COVID cases in the athletic department. But um, I, I wonder if Caleb Farley is just thinking, okay, I'm just going to put my, you know, my family's best inter- best interest in mind. Um, Want to make sure that my health is in a good spot and he doesn't get hurt also um, in a year that's leading up to, him potentially being a top 10 or 15 pick in the draft. So all that into consideration, Virginia Tech's in a tough spot now. They lose Caleb Farley. Lucky for them, secondary is their secondary is one of the deepest areas of their entire roster. So they have a lot of uh, proven guys and good, solid players at the position. Uh, Jermaine Waller on the other side of the field is probably going to be drafted in the first three or four rounds next year as well. He'll likely leave for the draft early too. Um, I don't think he'll opt out the season, but I think he'll leave early for the draft. Armani Chapman uh, is a sophomore. He's shown a lot of promise. Um, They have Brian Murray, who's a junior college transfer, who actually in his limited playing time last year was really good. But suffice to say, none of those guys are Caleb Farley. So it's it's significant, but I think Virginia Tech's fortunate that they do have a lot of depth there um, to step up. And, you know, nobody's asking, you know, Brian Murray or Armani Chapman or Jermaine Waller. Nobody's asking them to be Caleb Farley. But if you can just come in and be good, that might be all you need. You know, I, I anticipate Virginia Tech's pass rush will be better this year than it has been years past. They've had some guys, um, junior college transfer, Justin Reed, Justice Reed from Youngstown State, um, and some others. You know, they're going to have um, a good, solid foundation there on the defensive line for the first time in a long time. So I do anticipate the pass rush being a little bit better, which should help. But you lot, you just lost uh, an All-American at, at defensive back. It's not going to be easy. And... I do think it it somewhat lowers Virginia Tech's ceiling um, mm-hmm. and, you know, makes some of these games where you're like, hey, look, you know, Virginia Tech should win that game pretty easily or they should win that game narrowly. It makes those games kind of more of a toss up now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Virginia Tech's probably going to be have a ceiling that's lowered by about a win or so. Yep. Um, I think that would be that would be fair. Uh to expect and it doesn't mean they can't exceed that and do what we're all expecting them to do but anytime you lose an all-american like that defensive back it's really substantial no i mean you figure just the the individual impact there right like having to make your number two cornerback into your number one cornerback now like how many more one or two more deep balls per game are going to connect um right there there's you've got to commit another safety over to that side of the field now to help out whereas maybe you could have left him on an island before and now that changes up your defensive alignment, what you can do. And there's uh, losing a guy with that level of impact as much as we want to say, well, that's one player and there's a lot of plays in every game and blah, 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 blah. Like you can see and feel that impact after the, after the fact. 
I have a good comparison for you. Remember a couple of years ago um, when Notre Dame was playing Clemson in the semifinal mm-hmm. and Julian Love left the game for Notre Dame? Yep, yep. And it was like a 3 nothing game at the time. And right. then Clemson and, goes on a 27-3 to run after that or something. Right. Now, I think what benefits Virginia Tech is that they have guys outside of their number two corner who can step in and have sufficient playing time. That wasn't the case when they played Clemson. So they moved um, they moved Troy Pride across the field, and then they brought in another defensive back off the pine, and he was not ready to be in that situation. At least Virginia Tech has guys who have played, and, and they're in the rotation. Mm-hmm. They're not rotating with Farley, but they're in the rotation at the nickel or what have you. So it does benefit Virginia Tech a little bit better in that regard, but I think it's a good comparison. Like you saw what happened to a team like Notre Dame, who's mm-hmm. better than Virginia Tech when they lost their top corner. I think it's fair to expect from a deep ball standpoint how many of those are going to connect. I think it's a great point. So not not a drastic immediate drop off, but it'll add up over time. Definitely, definitely. So, so tough loss. And but and good I think Carly. Yeah, absolutely. And and a couple other things I'll mention. First off, you know, as we again as we record this. This is what we know about the situation on July 29th. This is also not really written in blood, for lack of a better term. Like, who knows? Maybe we wake up Thursday morning and Caleb Farley's changed his mind, and now he's going to rejoin Virginia Tech. I don't think there's any r- rules against that. Like, that can happen. Right. Um, so, you know, situation could still change. It's, it's still up for debate a little bit, you know, or, or, or there's there's still some, some room for that to change. As long as he doesn't hire an agent. Right. If he hires if he hires an agent early, then all bets are off. My guess is that he won't move to do that earlier than he has to, mm-hmm. um, which does provide some flexibility. Say, if we get a vaccine or a treatment unexpectedly, like a little bit early, then all yeah. of a sudden, what does that? You know, things drastically change at that point. Maybe Farley decides he wants to play. Who knows? Now, the other piece of this, and this is a little bit a little bit more working towards the macro view of things, is that mm-hmm. there's also a good amount of sentiment that. This is not the last of these announcements of this type that we are going to hear. This is merely the first. Right. And in fact, a lot of these guys that are projected to go first round of the NFL draft, and I would say especially the lower expected stakes they are to have this season. So maybe not as much guys from Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama who might be able to win a national title. but Right. Folks that are not really expecting to have a real chance at putting a ring on their finger might be a little bit more likely to do that. And I think that's an excellent point, Joey, because I saw some thoughts on social media today where people were saying, oh, this is the first of many. This is going to be a widespread thing. You're going to have several high-end players decide that they're going to sit out. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think there will be some. But to your point, like there's so many of the top prospects in the draft next year who are playing for teams who are going to be playing games that matter more than others, for lack of a better term. I just think that there's not going to it's not going to be as widespread as people are saying right now. Yeah. And maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm wrong. And look, I I want everybody to make the best decision possible for their health and their future and all that stuff. So do what you need to do. And maybe I'm totally wrong about this, but I don't see this being a widespread issue. But to your point, I mean, I do think this will be the first of several at the very least. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't expect dozens and dozens but if you had a dozen or a little bit more, I, I think that's completely be shocked. Yeah, that's completely yep. on the table. Um, yep. By the way, those three programs, not only do they have a chance, and I mentioned Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama, not only do they have a chance to be you know, in the running for a national title this year, 
those are also three programs that might have a really strong feeling of unfinished business. You know, even more That's kind right. of willing guys to stay in school that right. also those are schools that are going to have a bunch of first round picks. So right. anyway, so it's just keep an eye out. This is going to probably continue happening. I'm guessing this is not the last that's going to happen in the ACC. Um, there will probably be more of this. So we'll keep yeah. you updated as we find out more. And don't under and don't underestimate the unfinished business part of it either with these programs. Some people are going to shrug that off hearing that, but mm-hmm. I mean, think about Clemson a couple years back, right? They lose Alabama in the national championship, and everybody thought that Clemson's entire defensive line was going to move on to the NFL, and they didn't. They all came mm-hmm. back and they won a national title because they felt like they had unfinished business. Mm-hmm. Like that's a legitimate thing. Yeah. Like these kids want to play for national championships. It's what they sign up for. They all want to get to the NFL, but they want to do the best that they can at the collegiate level too and if they have the opportunity to win a national championship become an all-american and then all, you know become a first round pick on top of that they're going to try to take that opportunity and oh by the way some of them are also trying to get like college degrees and whatever but that's that too yeah yeah just don't right. don't you just ignore that part like, that's neither here that's neither here nor there um <laughs> they're, they're athlete students not student athletes that's correct student athletes um, yes anyways um so mike that that's that was the first big piece of news that dropped. Yeah, you're right. About probably around four o'clock Eastern time, and we felt. And like, then what happened? And then what happened? We Jeremy? felt like, man, now we are loaded with content to talk about tonight. And then, the ACC probably around four forty-five, five o'clock Eastern time drops the entire 2020 schedule that they're just going to go with. Um, yep. Done. We, yeah. Um, so here we go. At this point, Mike, we've been talking in hypotheticals really for the last few months on what is a schedule going to look like? Is it going to depend on other conferences? I mean, there's all sorts of things here. And what we've got at this point, Mike, is we have a full listing of matchups for all 15, yes, I said 15 ACC teams this year. Um, We have a structure for determining who's going to play in the conference championship game. We have a lot. We got some real concrete stuff that is very different from what we had six hours ago. Oh, yeah. Where do we want to start, Joey? Where do we start? All right. So we should probably start at a, at a high level, kind of from a, a structural standpoint. And the ACC has elected to do something that was kind of rumbled. You know, it, there were rumblings that this might happen over the last couple of weeks. But they have gone for what they are calling a 10 plus 1 model. Um, And what this means, Mike, is that each of these teams is going to play 10 conference games, five at home, five away, plus they're going to play one out-of-conference game that has some stipulations attached to it. And what are those, Joey? Uh, The stipulations attached to the non-conference game. Let me read this direct from the ACC's press release. Uh, All all non-conference game opponents selected by the respective school must be played in the home state of the ACC institution, and all non-conference opponents must meet the medical protocol requirements as agreed upon by the ACC. Now, Mike, it's very, at this point, painfully obvious, and it's almost a little bit insulting of why this was done. There are four schools in particular that are very hell-bent in the ACC on retaining their annual state rivals, and it is the four teams that play SEC teams every year. It is Florida State against Florida. It is Georgia Tech against Georgia, Clemson against South Carolina, and Louisville against Kentucky. That is the reason that this clause is in there is because everyone was hell-bent on continuing to play their in-state rival. That's right. So um, 
that is in place. Now the question becomes what happens with the other 11 teams, and we will get into that. By the way, Mike, this is probably around the time that I should mention, yes, we are still talking about a 15-team conference, and as much as, yes, the ACC had 14 teams as of about six hours ago, now we have 15. How does that work? Because, well, Mike, Notre Dame is jumping in, playing a full 10-game ACC slate, plus one out-of-conference game. Go so, Irish. Yeah. And there, were all, there was also an announcement that at least the ACC and the other teams are going to get something out of this because the Notre Dame has agreed to evenly split their TV revenues with the other 14 ACC teams the same way that the other 14 teams are going to split it with Notre Dame. What did we say on the last podcast? We said that the way that Notre Dame gets into the conference and is eligible for a conference championship is that they have to give a little bit of something in return. And what mm-hmm. would that be? That would be that NBC TV money we were alluding to. And lo and behold, here we are. That is correct. So now all 15 teams will pool all the TV money together and split it up evenly. And let's just, I'm just going to suggest that's probably going to bump up TV revenues for the other 14 teams. Nice little Easter egg for the ACC. Yeah, not bad. Um, it, so don't complain if you're a fan. I understand being frustrated. Notre Dame's on the conference. They can win the cha- the conference championship. This is going to help your school. Yeah. Guys, this is why they did it. Yeah. We tried to warn you. And and we could have discussions on, well, the ACC didn't get the whole kit and caboodle of this being a, a permanent arrangement and this, that, and the other. But neither here nor there. Like, just the point is the ACC is getting something back from Notre Dame in this. Correct. Yep. Now, the thing that you did mention as well, Notre Dame is eligible for the ACC championship. They are now considered an equal in the ACC's bowl tier assignments, basically. Pretty significant. Pretty significant. For all intents and purposes, Notre Dame is an ACC team this year. Yep. That's it. Um, So that is a a pretty key difference. Um, Now, a couple of other elements to this. First off, the season's first games will take place the week of September 7th through the 12th. Uh, the 7th, if I'm not mistaken, and I need to pull my calendar up and double-check this, um, the 7th is the Tuesday following Labor Day? That is correct. Let me uh, triple-check I'm going this. the wrong way. I'm looking at the month of March, which I don't want to go backwards in time. The we'll s- still be in the pandemic. The 7th is Labor Day. The 7th is Labor Day. That is The 8th Monday. is Tuesday. Yes. Yep. Um, now, you might be wondering yourself, yeah, but the college football season starts Labor Day weekend. Are they, are they just pushing it back for one week? And if so, why? Well, Mike, they're pushing back the ACC schedule one week, meaning this plus one conference non-conference game. There is a lot of speculation going around, and I'm not reporting anything. I'm just saying there's some speculation that those games might be scheduled for that initial weekend. Uh-huh. Little week zero action? Mm-hmm. Anybody? Yeah. So you've now kind of carved out a little bit of time uh, to do that. Um, the 11 games that each team plays will be played over 13 weeks at least, with each team having two open dates. This is relevant for a reason that we're going to come back in just a minute and hit on a question that we got from a listener. Yep. Uh, there is one division, so we've just totally gotten rid of the two-division structure, all this stuff. The ACC championship game will be played on either December 12th or 19th at Bank of America Stadium, as normal. Pause. And, mm-hmm. Pause. So... Real quick, mm-hmm. so you mentioned the um, the non-conference game. You know, mm-hmm. that could be played 
you know, in theory, Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Um, if the numbers aren't good from a COVID standpoint, they also have the flexibility to play towards the end of the year, hence the 12th or the 19th for the ACC championship dates. But I digress. Continue. Well, and, and for what that's worth, that's also at least a week, if not two weeks later than it normally would be. Oh, yeah. A little Christmas football, anybody? Oh, hell yeah. So once again, we will come back and hit on that in just a second. Um, that game will feature the two top teams in the conference based on conference game winning percentage. So whoever you play in your non-conference game, that don't matter. At it does to, for money, and that's about it. Yeah, for money, <laughs> and I guess to your final record, everyone's going to have an 11-game record. Um, it does not matter for who gets into the conference championship game or not. Um, so the the week-by-week schedule, who plays everyone each week, is still not out, but at least we have a final listing of matchups for these 10 conference games for each team, and we will dive into that in just a moment. But what I want to do first is I do want to hit on this question that we got from our, our friend and, and a good listener that we have, Keith Derrick, that he sent us this like a week ago, like on, on the heels of our last episode, not even knowing that this is going to turn into a very relevant topic on this episode. He asks, I wanted to know if you've heard any contingency plans for the conference or for teams if, for example, 15 or more players or coaches come down with COVID in the week leading up to a game. Now, first of all, we know, Mike, that's that's not possible. That doesn't right. happen. Athletes don't get COVID. Um, it's been going great in baseball so far. The Marlins played three whole games before half their team was infected. <laughs> it's it's going great. So yep. we're talking ultra hypothetical here. Ultra hypothetical. Right. Right, because why Why be prepared for the worst? Exactly. Never do that. Right. Um, right. Now, in response to this, I want to go back to what we said about these games going to be starting somewhere between September 7th and 12th. So somewhere between a Monday and a Saturday. Yep. Maybe on Wednesday, maybe on Friday. We don't know. There's going to be at least two off weeks for each team. And the conference championship game could happen on one Saturday or another. What we're pointing out here is that they have built in a lot of flexibility into this schedule that hopefully gives options rather than just outright cancel games or make teams forfeit or anything yep. like that. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, and they gave two two dates for a possible ACC championship game, right? Mm-hmm. The 12th or the 19th. So you built in two weeks' worth of flexibility there, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you have two bye weeks right that are assigned to each team already mm-hmm. um which that's significant as well because if you can't play a game then maybe you can reschedule a game against an opponent during that bye week that that could feasibly happen so you have another additional two weeks to play with there and then this season i know we just talked about you know the non-conference games potentially filling the slot but we have the season now starting a week later than expected so that could be in theory if it got real bad, mm-hmm. a fifth week of flexibility. So mm-hmm. there's going to be options here for the ACC for the inevitable outbreak at name your school. Like it's going to happen. Now, hopefully they keep that limited, right? And they, they continue testing well and they're able to contain whatever outbreak there is. And we don't have major, major issues, but that's not realistic to think that way. Look at most major sports that aren't being played in a bubble right now. And you can see the issues that are happening you can see the issues already with the workouts in college football so yep. the flexibility the flexibility is there 
a really relevant question, Keith. To be honest, like from my perspective, I think the ACC built in as much flexibility as they could here. And I think anything more than that, we're not going to have a season or at least we're not going to complete one. That That's my personal opinion with it. The other thing I'm going to mention here and, and I think is really worth considering the ACC pointed out specifically, we have not assigned week by week matchups yet. Yep. I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm not sure that they're like when they first start announcing these, that they're going to announce the whole thing. I, I would not be surprised if they announced three or four weeks worth of matchups and they just sort of see, see how it goes, where that gets us. And we still know that team a has to travel to play team B at some point, but Knowing that, again, a couple of these teams might not be available in certain weeks. You might have to move stuff around, shuffle the deck a little bit, and do what you can. So, I mean, for a sport that schedules games like a decade and a half in advance, <laughs> they're going to have to do it about three weeks in advance in a lot of cases. And In, in my mind, just don't be surprised if that happens. We don't yep, know. This is, yeah, this is definitely going to be new for the ACC. I think the coaches will appreciate the fact that they at least know who's going to be on the schedule so they can at least start scouting from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree. I think, and we talked about here, um, I think on the last episode, we said, you know, we're confident that they'll have a season at least to start. I'm not so, con- unless there's a major outbreak, you know, right before the first week of games. Um, <laughs> we, we're confident they'll have a season to start. I'm not so confident they'll finish it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you're looking at like some of the numbers. An article came out this afternoon. The town of Blacksburg, if there's no Virginia Tech football this fall, could lose $70 million, Joey. Yep. And that's probably on the lower end um, of some of these college campuses. You think about schools that are a lot bigger Clemson um, being in a small town in South Carolina, Alabama being in Tuscaloosa. Like, there are some areas that could get hit real, real, real hard by not having college football. So they're going to try to get this thing off the ground. I am just not too terribly confident they'll finish the season, but hoping for the best. 11 games is aggressive, it feels like. Right. On on July 29th, it feels aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would love nothing more than to be talking about this on December 12th as if everything went off without a hitch and... You know, we're trying to preview a, a conference championship game and all that. That would be great. I'm just let's, handi- let's handicap that. You know, I I I've been living in this world for the last four months, and that's that's where my confidence is on on what it's going to look like four months from now. So yep, yeah. Um, in any case, all right. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about some of these individual conference schedules, Mike, and then. There's a whole separate exercise involved here of looking into some of the non-conference potential. So we'll start with the conference schedules. And we should start by saying that whatever... I think you said something kind of to the contrary earlier. I'm going to say this. Whatever schedules were already on the docket for this year, as far as I'm concerned, you could almost completely just throw them out. Um, Throw out divisions... They the things that they did retain were primarily the protected rivalries that you get every year. So Virginia Tech, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Syracuse, Pittsburgh. Like these teams are still playing, but it's I mean Georgia Tech. Like I'm looking at their schedule, ten game schedule. They're playing six Atlantic teams, three Coastal teams, and Notre Dame. So like. 
Meanwhile, NC State is playing like six coastal teams, eight or three Atlantic teams, and Notre Dame. So, right. or excuse me, no, they're not playing Notre Dame. But the point is, like, just because you're in one division or the other in most years, those were just almost entirely thrown out. And I, you just start from scratch. You got to fit Notre Dame in ten schedules somewhere. There, there's a lot that has changed here, Mike. Yeah, I mean, there are a few schedules in particular. Um that have changed pretty significantly i would say for the most part just kind of looking down this list they did a pretty good job of making sure that a lot of these schools kept uh number one kept the rivalries like you mentioned but number two played most and this is in most cases not all um played teams from their respective division Mm -hmm. now this isn't always the case like i'm looking at you know you mentioned georgia tech already and conversely i'm looking at duke they're playing BC, Florida State, Wake Forest, NC State, Notre Dame, Syracuse. I mean, their only coastal teams they're playing are UVA, Georgia Tech, um, the Hokies, and North Carolina. So they're playing one less coastal team than usual. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you you see that. You mentioned Georgia Tech already. Um, Wake Forest is playing more coastal teams than you'd expect. So this is just one of those deals where... They tried the best they could to keep schedules mostly intact, but there were obviously some areas where you know team schedules are being completely turned upside down. And the one thing that I haven't yet gone back and looked at all that closely was teams that Notre Dame was already contracted to play. Right. Because that's one of the really tricky parts is that Notre Dame already had, I believe, six ACC games scheduled for this year. So they've had to go back and work in four more to other teams' previously scheduled opponents, and and that, you know, that's just a whole other dimension to how this is done. Yep. And I just pulled this up, Joey, so I can kind of, I can kind of go through it here. Um, Notre Dame was going to play Louisville and South Bend. They were going to play Clemson, South Bend, Georgia Tech on the road, Duke and South Bend, Pitt on the road, Wake Forest on the road. So those are their ACC games for this year. And you said that was. Clemson, Louisville, and South Bend, Georgia Tech, Pitt, and Wake Forest on the road? Uh, Georgia Tech, Pitt, and Wake Forest on the road, and Duke at home as well. Okay, yeah, so that's so that has stayed in place. Yep. Like, Notre Dame still has those games in those places. Uh, now, I say in those places. I think a couple of the road games are supposed to be in NFL stadiums or whatever, and that, that right. might be gone, but at least that, they that will... is That is gone. That is gone from what I understand. So they're going to be playing um, – at least, like, the ACC's plan, I don't know if this counts for Notre Dame, too. I assume it would because they're an ACC team for this year. The um, the neutral site games, I guess, are not going to take place. These games are going to take place on campuses, yep. from what I understand. There so. you go. Okay. So there's that. Um, do we just want to talk through a couple of these schedules that really stood out to us at first first glance? I think that's the way to do it, just given that we received these schedules a few hours ago. Yeah. So. Um, haven't haven't done a ton of deep diving analysis, but... We'll get the, there. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, one of the first things that jumped out to me was Wake Forest is getting a little bit screwed here. I would agree. Uh, Wake Forest has road games against all three of the North Carolina teams, so they have to play on the road at Duke, North Carolina, and NC State. They also have a road game at Louisville, and they have a road game at Syracuse. So you've now got your three in-state opponents all on the road, plus Louisville. That's probably one and four on the road. Yep. The home games they get, Clemson, 
Miami, Notre Dame, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Like, that's probably two and three at best. Yeah, this feels, on paper, without knowing who the non-conference opponent is, this feels like a three to four win. Four is, four might be generous. Out a of three to yeah, out of ten. So this looks like three and seven mm-hmm. um, without the non-conference game. So it, Wake looks like they're missing a bowl game on paper. Yeah, the schedule, and and that's regardless, kind of to some degree, of what you think of Wake. It is really just the schedule being what it is. Like you've got some of your least winnable games at home, and some of your most winnable games on the road. Like that, that is not helpful. Yep. Um, another team that jumped out to me, Mike, was Syracuse, and mm-hmm. that's a team that, to some degree, could go undefeated at home, could go winless on the road. Um, yep. At home, they get Boston College under a first-year coach. They get Duke, Georgia Tech, NC State, and Wake Forest all at home. I, is Wake Forest or Duke, I guess, the most scary of those five teams? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point it's probably Duke yeah. uh, with Chase Bryce. Now, it depends on what you think of Chase Bryce as well. Yep. I would think it's probably Duke. Um, Wake Forest, I mean, Duke and Wake Forest are both going to be well coached, mm-hmm. so you can count on that. Um, I, I would take Duke a little bit more seriously just because of the upside of Chase Bryce. Yeah, I think so. Meanwhile, Syracuse goes on the road and might not win a game at Clemson, at Louisville, at North Carolina, at Notre Dame, and at Pittsburgh. Pitt is the only one I can see them winning, and they're probably going to be at least a one, uh, at least a seven, ten point underdog. I would yeah, say that's that's going to be brutal. Yep. Um, we looked at a little bit at the Clemson schedule, and mm-hmm. I mean, try to find what you want to find on here. But home against Boston College, Miami, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, and Virginia—that's probably five and zero. Oh. I mean, yeah, toughest toughest game there is probably Miami, or yeah, it's either that or Pittsburgh. I mean, with yeah. th- those two being probably the two best defenses they'll play all year. Agree. Narduzzi gives them hell, man. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Yeah, that that won't be a super fun game. but. Yep. And then on the other hand, they go on the road and they play Florida State, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest. So Notre Dame hosting Clemson, clearly probably about the game of the year in the ACC, probably going to determine who goes to the playoff, the, yep. the hypothetical playoff. Yep. Um. But other than that, I, that's maybe the closest thing to a, a landmine that Clemson has is Notre Dame without knowing the sequencing of some of these games. Agreed, and we can pro- we might be able to see Notre Dame and Clemson twice this year. Yeah, that, that is on the table. Yeah, that's on the table just given Notre Dame's schedule, which really isn't all that bad. Speaking of Notre Dame, they get Clemson, Duke, Florida State, Louisville, and Syracuse at home. Don't sleep on that Florida State or Louisville game. Um, I'm not as concerned about Florida State. I think Louisville's the one. Yeah, I, um, I think that Satterfield. If I can get a good number on Louisville, I'll, I'll take a fairly heavy underdog in that game. Yeah, I mean Louisville with Satterfield looked competitive against Notre Dame. Uh, granted, it was not in South Bend; it was at home. But mm-hmm. they in, in Satterfield's first game as head coach, they were competitive against Brian Kelly and Notre Dame. Yep. So that Notre Notre Dame should win that game. Yep. Um, Notre Dame could lose that game. Yeah. But they should win that game. And then um, road, road games at Boston College, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, and Wake Forest. Um, I, I would argue that either of those North Carolina or Pittsburgh games, I would not be surprised if Notre Dame split those. Lost one and was able to only win one. Yeah. I 
I could see it. Um, I think I think what realistically happens is they lose one home game, one away game. I think is pretty realistic. Um, and then I think if you're a betting man and you're a little bit lower on Notre Dame, I think you bet on them to lose against Louisville. Um, of these ten games, I'd probably set the win total at seven and a half. Yep. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I th- I think that's Pen- right on the money. We could we could feel okay about penciling in a loss to Clemson. Yep. And so then the question is, do they lose one or more than one of that home against Louisville at North Carolina at Pittsburgh? Right. Because Notre Dame's going to be favored in every game they play except for the game against Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, take um, that for what it's worth, too. Mike, this is really going to shock you, so I need you to make sure. Are you sitting down? Um, I'm sitting down. I am. Do you have good airflow, breathing, <laughs> You ready? You know, day by day in this pandemic, Joey. Day by day. Um, The conference did not screw over North Carolina. Oh, what a surprise. Yeah, shocking. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, North Carolina at home against NC State, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest. And then let me tell you about this this absolute slog of a road schedule. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Boston College, Duke, Florida State, Miami, Virginia. I'm having trouble evaluating some of these schedules because I really don't know what Florida State's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm also having trouble totally figuring out what Duke's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think Duke's going to be good. I'm just thinking, like, could they be, like, 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five good? Like, good. And, I mean, 6-6 six and six and 7-5 and five in a normal environment. We'd have to play 12 games for that to happen. Sure. Um, so let's let's call it 5-5, 6-4. Five and 6-4. Five, and mm-hmm. um, point is, will they be a 500 team? And that's the part I'm trying to figure out, too, uh, because I, I think you're seeing Duke and Florida State pop up on a lot of schedules here. And I'm just kind of wondering what they're going to be in year one under Norvell and then year one with a new quarterback, um, Chase Bryce, obviously having Cockcliffe be in there forever. I would not be surprised. I, I kind of feel like Florida State may be like a case by case basis, like every yep. every week they're, you know, Pretty high ceiling, pretty low floor kind of situation. Similar to Louisville. Similar yeah. to Louisville last year. It's yeah. quite fair. Probably fair. Yep. Um, all right. What else? We could talk about Miami. Uh, before that, can we talk about UVA's road schedule real quick? Ooh, we should. Okay. Let's touch on that real quick. That's a little bit brutal. Clemson, yeah. Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest. What did you do to John Swafford, UVA? First of all, Clemson on the road, that's just – you can write that in pen that that's a loss. Yeah. And then you have to take two trips to Florida mm. to play in their house. You have to play at your own rival, Virginia Tech. That was probably on the schedule anyways. Yep. So I guess Wake Forest is going to be winnable, but that that's not fun. And you know what? The home schedule isn't that much better. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's better than the road schedule, but they got Boston College and Duke. So again, talking about Duke again, where are they going to be? Mm-hmm. And then they have Louisville, North Carolina, and NC State. I think it's pretty safe to say UVA loses that game to North Carolina, and they probably lose that game to Louisville. NC State, Duke, and BC represent kind of the toss-up games. Ah oh, man, hard time. And I don't know what bowl eligibility is. I would assume it's going to be five games now. <laughs> now that we're going like a ten to eleven game schedule, if they keep it at six, that'd be very interesting. Yeah. Um. That's that's a whole TBD thing, but UVA is going to have trouble making a bowl game. Yeah, that that's going to be a little tough. Didn't think that before. I think that now with the, with this new schedule. 
Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, by the way, Mike, and, and yep. I'm just going to go ahead and toot my own horn here for a second. Um, yes, sir. One of the obvious talking points coming into the year on Georgia Tech was going to be about the team could be better, but the schedule is pretty nasty, so the record might not be any better. Well, let's just say they didn't really get a whole lot better here. No, they did not. Let's Georgia talk about Tech the home schedule. Gets Duke, Clemson, Louisville, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh at home. That's mm. like two and three if you steal one of those somehow. Yep. Probably um, one and probably one and four and zero oh and five wouldn't shock me. Zero oh and five's on the table. Yeah, you might yep. not win any of those games. Yep. So of your three easiest games, well, four easiest games, three of them are on the road. You got to go to mm. Boston College, go to NC State, and go to Syracuse. By the way, this two two of those are really long road trips. Yep. And then you got to go to Tallahassee to play Florida State and go to Miami to play the Canes. So tough sled in the head, Mike. <laughs> Three and seven? It's okay. They got a non-conference game. You might be able to get a fourth win in there this year. Okay. Yep. But that's kind of... Man, I feel real bad for UVA, Georgia Tech, and Wake Forest. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about about the out-of-conference game later. Um, Yeah. All right. So we've kind of just jumped around here and hit on a bunch of these teams. Anyone else, Mike, that really sticks out to you? Uh, Virginia Tech, I I just want to talk about them as as an alum and somebody who covers them. Uh, They replaced the Penn State game with Clemson, essentially. Is that bad? It's not good. It's not good for the record. (laughs) You know know what? Uh, Virginia Tech was certainly going to be an underdog against Penn State. That was a game I could, like, squint real hard and see Virginia Tech winning. They have no shot at beating Clemson. No shot. Yeah. Um. Now, the rest of the schedule, I actually like a lot uh, for Tech. I don't really have too many qualms with it. It aligns pretty closely to what the schedule looked like before, so I still feel about the same about their outlook, mm-hmm. even without Caleb Farley. Um, you know, Boston College, Clemson, Miami, NC State, UVA at home. I would say worst-case scenario, we're probably looking at three and two there. Um, it's, you know, assuming they lose to Clemson and then maybe lose to Miami would be the other one. Um, and then on the road, it's, it's Duke, Louisville, North Carolina, Pitt and Wake Forest. Um, I think Tech beats Duke and Wake pretty handily. And then it's just going to be a matter of them trying to take care of business against two out of the three games that they have left, Louisville and uh, North Carolina and Pittsburgh yeah. on the road. Uh, I like the home schedule a lot more than I like the road schedule. Uh, I think that this is a eight and two, seven and three type schedule because I don't think they lose. I, I don't think they lose five games between Louisville, North Carolina, Pitt, Miami, and Clemson. I, I think they go at, at least three and two, maybe four and one off of that. Um, and so I, th- I think if you look at it that way, they're probably going to win seven or eight games. Yep, that's how I, that's how I felt about them coming into the year, though. So interested to see kind of where these games stack up and like how they're scheduled because that's you reference this i think when talking about you know clemson and notre dame right off the top like how these games are scheduled is going to be a whole different piece of this as you all know and Mm -hmm. home field advantage doesn't matter as much this year for sure but the amount that you have to travel does and -hmm. that always matters so if you're going back to back weeks and it's a lot of travel and I think the ACC will certainly try to avoid that. Um, that's going to play into, you know, some of these scoring totals, some of these spreads, and it's going to really 
take a toll on kind of how we evaluate these games. But yep. that's just another piece of it that we're still waiting on. That's the missing piece at this point. The the only other team I want to mention here while, while we're still going on this for a second, Mike, is Pittsburgh. Yes. This is a very interesting schedule, I feel like. So I'm, I'm going to just start with them. I think you've got two, you know, pencil them in wins at home against NC State and Syracuse. I agree. And then you've got some, some pretty serious, like, you know, um, swing game home games against Louisville, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech. If Pittsburgh wins two of those games, we're talking about them, and people are going to think I'm out of my mind. We're talking about them potentially being an ACC championship game contender yeah. at that point, in that, my opinion. That that Those three games could kind of have a pretty big effect on the outcome of the conference, we'll say. I agree. Yep. Um, road, totally agree. Road games, surefire, pretty surefire win, I think, against Boston College. Yep. Probably also a pretty surefire win at Georgia Tech. Yep. And then you've also got a, a pretty surefire loss at Clemson, but don't put anything past them. I mean, that's a – again, Pitt's defense should be about as good as anybody's this year. They've and, done it – Pittsburgh's done it before. They've done it before. They sure have. Shout out Matt Canada. Yep. Um, in Death Valley and the whole thing. But yep. And then they've got road games against Florida State and Miami. Again, like – Real swing games, I could see going either way. That I, I think Pittsburgh, on, on a lot of ways, is probably the what I'm going to call the fulcrum of the conference. Like, I agree to use engineering terms um, or physics or whatever you want to call them. But yeah, Pittsburgh pulleys and pulleys and shit. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. they are, in a way, they are probably the bar to go back to a term that we used years ago. In, specifically in reference to NC State back then, but now they are the bar. Pittsburgh's probably the bar this year. Oh, like, you're bringing it back. That's from like season two, Joey. Yeah, yeah. We oh got, man, you've got a, a really interesting slate of games for Pittsburgh that I think it, that is kind of the the determinant of good teams versus bad teams is how do you play against Pittsburgh? I agree, and I, I'm kind of looking at the other schedules, and I think Pittsburgh. You know, as we kind of look at all these schedules at one time, I think Pittsburgh actually has the most even schedule from a home and away standpoint. Yeah. Where I could see them going pretty even, like three and two at home, three and two on the road. Yep. Or two and three at home, two and three on the road. Like there are swing games, like two or three different swing games at home and on the road. I know that fans listening to this podcast you know you you all root for your respective teams and you're all thinking oh my god we got swing games are you kidding me we got swing games at home in a way and I, i'm just looking at this kind of outside looking in it just feels like pittsburgh's schedule is one of the more balanced schedules um here in the acc as mm-hmm. i kind of look through this uh just because there is so much variability i do think there's good balance between the tough games they get at home and the tough games they get on the road that's right that's right uh mike I think that's all I've got on these specific conference schedules. Anything else before we move on? I'm very, very interested to see what happens on a couple of levels now. Mm-hmm. I mentioned, number one, how these games are scheduled, how they determine, you know, whether it's, you know, we're going to schedule these first four games and then kind of see how everything plays out or if they give us the full schedule so that we can really evaluate top to bottom what this would look like if we get through a full season. Mm-hmm. Um, that way we can kind of make a better determination of what records are going to look like because that mm-hmm. could swing wins a game or two here and there. Yep. And then I'm also really interested to see what happens with the with the non-conference games. We mentioned that that could be a Labor Day weekend scenario. It could also be 
kind of sandwich. We've seen the ACC play some random non-conference games in the middle of the year before. Yep. Um, outside of the NV games. Um, I, yeah. I could see that happening as well. I could see this being pushed to maybe like December 12th if you decide to play a game on the 19th for the ACC championship. So really interested to see what happens there. I'm also at a macro level, and this is an answer I don't think we're going to get for a few weeks because other conferences are still trying to totally figure out what they're doing. But interested to see what bowl eligibility looks like. Interested to see what the bowl season looks like. Um, interested to see what the college football playoff looks like. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of things up in the air right now that nobody really has the answer to. We're all kind of figuring it out as we go. I think it's really cool that the ACC was able to move so quickly, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. Big Ten, the Big Ten makes the announcement willy nilly about two and a half weeks ago, saying that you know we're canceling the non conference schedule. Yep, and that put a lot of not necessarily in the ACC, but in other conferences that put a lot of schools in a bind trying mm-hmm. to figure out what they were going to do. And it did more harm than good, in my opinion, when they did that. And the Big Ten still hasn't really decided kind of what the conference schedule is going to look like mm-hmm. and how things are going to shape up in that regard. The ACC was very proactive. And I do give uh, – John Swafford gets a lot of criticism. I do give him a lot of credit for trying to figure this out here and being proactive and trying to get ahead of it, mm-hmm. which is something you can't say – all the time about these about these conferences mm-hmm. but i think we can say that with the acc and we're not in the pocket of the acc we're an independent podcast and all that I, i'm just very impressed with how they've handled this so far and trying to figure out a way to make this work and mm-hmm. there's no there's no guarantees in a pandemic but this was very impressive that they were able to come up with this so quickly and a manner that really makes sense i don't have a lot of qualms with kind of how they decided to do this i, I think this is fine I think the inclusion of Notre Dame is fine because I think it's for the good of the conference with the TV money. I think that was a huge piece and a huge win for the ACC as a whole. So they've done a lot of things well with this, and there's not really a whole lot I'm concerned with with the format that they chose here. Yep. No, and and, and I think specifically what what we got to be impressed with here is a not only has the conference come in with a, a significantly higher level of detail on what they are going to do than what anybody else has come up with. But B, they've done it while also incorporating a totally outside team into what would normally be their structure. You know, like, right. And so being able to do that and take the lead and say, here's what we're doing, here's how we're going to make it work, um, I, I think, yeah, that, that's, that is impressive. And that's, that's probably absolutely worth pointing out and noticing is they are setting a standard and, and yep. being leaders. Yep. And it sounds like the SEC, um, there are a lot of reports circulating that the SEC is getting pretty close to making a call on how they're going to run their schedule for this year as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of conferences were kind of working towards this and there was a lot of negotiation too, right? Like whether the ACC was going to play these SEC games, right? Um, you know, we were talking about like keeping the non-conference games intact and the rivalries and that sort of thing. Um and there was a lot of discussion between the different conferences on this. That was clear. The fact that the ACC got out ahead of everybody and just said, hey, this is how we're going to do it. Um, if you need any help, let us know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's essentially what it is. It's like, this is now the model. Like, yeah. This is it. This is how we're going to do it. Yep. And the other conferences will most likely follow suit. And the ACC setting the standard, I think, is something that's very impressive. Yep, absolutely. Um, speaking of these other conferences, Mike, we do have that pesky 11th non-conference game that we need to talk about. Yep. And as we mentioned earlier in the broadcast, uh, this was really designed in theory for the four ACC teams that have standing SEC rivalries. So once again, right. 
That's Florida State and Florida. That's Clemson and South Carolina. That's Georgia Tech and Georgia. And that's Louisville and Kentucky. But the thing is, Mike, that only covers four of the ACC teams. That leaves us with 11 more ACC teams. And we just got to figure out what the hell are they going to do? And we did this exercise before we hit record, and it is very, very difficult. It is a doozy. So here's the thing, Mike. So once again, the criteria here are all non-conference game opponents selected by the respective school must be played in the home state of the ACC institution, and all non-conference opponents must meet the medical protocol requirements as agreed upon by the ACC. So you so it has to be a home a home state school, and a school has to apply, abide by the medical protocol requirements as dictated by the ACC. Did you notice what it doesn't say in there? What doesn't it say in there, Joey? It doesn't say that it has to be a Power 5 team. Yep. It doesn't say that it has to be an FBS team. Right. And that's going to be a very important piece of where this all comes into play. So let's let's start in the south uh, because there's let's, only... Go ahead. Bef- before, before we go get into this, because I know where you're going, and it's something that you and I didn't mention when we were, when we were kind of getting our notes together before mm-hmm. we hit record... The other important part of this is their FCS conferences, one by one, canceling their seasons. Absolutely. And and the reason for that, in a lot of cases, is because, you know, that whole meeting medical protocol requirements stated by the ACC, I'm just guessing that those are not going to be super financially feasible for a lot of FCS programs. Correct. So this is... This is Going to be a doozy, and let's get into why here. So first off, let's start in the South. There is only one ACC program that plays in a state with an SEC program that is already accounted for, and that's Miami. Uh, I'm just guessing that Florida State and Miami can't both play Florida this year. Um, I I mean, we don't know the SEC scheduling model, but I'm guessing they don't get two out-of-conference games, as, as for what we know now. So, that leaves Miami with four in-state FBS programs that they could be scheduling. That's FAU, FIU, UCF, and USF. We certainly know that UCF would love nothing more than to play an in-state big boy. Um, That might be a mess. Yeah, you know what's good for recruiting? Beating Miami. Yeah. Um, You know what's not good for recruiting? Losing to UCF. Oh, I was going to say losing to FIU, but, you know, either way. (laughs) Um, hasn't really hurt. Hasn't really hurt them so far. Because of, um, yeah, of those four programs, there's only one of them that Miami is on a on a losing streak to. If if we would be remiss if we didn't mention that. Right. Correct. So, I, I guess you're looking at a game against one of those four. If I had to, if I had to guess, I'm gonna go with FA. Well, FIU is just across town, so that's very logistically doable. Not a problem. Break the streak. The whole thing, but. FAU also gives you the chance to play against a coach that you have beaten the last two years in Willie Taggart, who is now yep. new head coach at FAU. Um, so that's an option. So I'm going to go with either FAU or USF, but most likely they're going to try to play FIU just across the town and, you know, cleanse those demons. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to say they're going to play FIU. Yeah, that's most likely. Um, now let's move up to North Carolina, Mike, where we have a, a very different level of problem here. Um, yep. The ACC has four schools in North Carolina. That's UNC, NC State, Wake, and Duke. Those four teams are already scheduled to play each of each other. Um, 
And as we mentioned before, Wake gets them all on the road, so this isn't like a perfect round-robin, home-and-home kind of thing, but... They tried. Those four teams each get to schedule an out-of-conference game in the state, and the problem with that is that there's only three FBS teams in the state outside of those four. That's App State, East Carolina, and Charlotte. Yep. So I'm just guessing those three play against three of the four, and then... One of the, you know whoever's the odd man out here now gets to schedule a game against one of FCS, the FCS teams in North Carolina, which include Campbell, Davidson, Elon, Gardner Webb, NCANT, NC Central, or Western Carolina. And let's be honest, the school that's probably going to get the honor of doing that is Wake Forest. Yeah, um, yeah, from a financial standpoint, particularly, yeah. they yep. least likely to afford you know a payout game and all that. So yeah, that's most likely. Um, that brings us to Virginia, Mike, and. Your Virginia Tech Hokies, as well as Virginia, there are two other FBS programs in the state of Virginia, and it's Liberty and Old Dominion. And if you tell me you really don't want to play one of them, the first question I have is, is that for football reasons or for political reasons? Right. That has to come up. And that, you know, I'm pretty sure last we saw Old Dominion against Virginia Tech, Old Dominion won that game. That's messy. Uh, That's not good for recruiting in state. There's also the whole element of James Madison is an FCS team that's in state. That's a recent, you know, constant national title contender in the FCS. Nice to have another losable game on the schedule too. They might be better than Liberty or Old Dominion. So, yep, probably uh, both. I don't know, but then again, is is James Madison in their conference? Are they playing this fall? We don't know. Right, right. So there's a lot of unknowns there. Mm-hmm. Um, Liberty was already on the schedule. Mm-hmm. So that seems like more of a natural fit because they've already been on the schedule now. You know, for fans have been Virginia Tech for Virginia Tech. They were a non-conference game. They they were actually the opener this year. Um, so that was a game on the schedule already. So my gut feeling is that that will remain the case. Now a lot of Virginia Tech fans want to see that game removed for political reasons, which mm-hmm. I can't say i blame them for um but i i think what's most likely to happen is virginia tech continues and and just kind of plays that game with liberty i think logistically speaking that makes the most sense it was already on the schedule you're already planning on playing them the financial arrangement from a contractual standpoint's already been arranged all of those things are in play during a pandemic um oh i would i would be surprised if you couldn't get a little something back from liberty on the original agreement considering liberty's now up a tree trying to find a full schedule to play Correct. And the issue now, the, the one thing that makes this interesting is the Liberty contract was something that was executed by former athletic director, rest in peace, Jim Weaver. Um, he executed that agreement with Liberty years in advance um, to have that game be played in Blacksburg. Um, that was not a Whit Babcock decision. So Whit was totally removed from this, but now he's caught holding the bag with everything that's gone on from a political ramification standpoint which nobody could have foreseen coming back then so here we are but that's kind of where we're at with virginia tech i think they probably play liberty um don't want to see james madison definitely don't want to see old dominion either even though old dominion's definitely worse than james madison james madison is probably better than liberty like you mentioned shout out ben Danucci. shout out ben god damn it (laughs) ben Danucci just always finds a way back into our hearts on this year's podcast (laughs) That's <laughs> former Pittsburgh great Ben DiNucci. You can take Ben DiNucci out of the podcast, but you can't. Never mind. Take the um, podcast out, of Ben DiNucci. <laughs> um, 
Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah. Anyways, um, Pittsburgh has two other FBS teams in their state. That's Penn State, who, again, is in the Big Ten, and that might just be off limits at this point. Yep. And then they have Temple, which eh, that's probably winnable. That's probably doable. Um, if that doesn't work out for some reason, then you could also start digging into Villanova among a slew of other FCS teams that are kind of in that eastern half of Pennsylvania. Yeah, probably Temple. These aren't your grandfather's owls no. under Matt Rule. No. So no more Matt Rule. Not even the Jeff Collins owls. Not even the Jeff Collins owls. And they are These aren't... certainly for damn sure not the Manny Diaz owls, Mike. That's that's right. Yeah. You, you can take uh, you can take the owl out of Manny Diaz, but you can't take the <laughs> Manny Diaz out of the owl. That's that's again, that's for damn sure. Um, yes. Otherwise, Mike, this is when it gets real tricky. Um, Notre Dame, again, they're an ACC team now. They are. That means we get to do a 15th team preview, by the way. Just line them oh, up. Man. Line Let's them up. Call up Pete Sampson for the athletic. Maybe he's our best. <laughs> uh, Notre Dame is in Indiana, which, speaking of Big Ten teams not being able to play, that's Purdue and Indiana now not on the schedule. So I guess it's that Ball State. One FBS team in Ball State. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who some... I believe was on Notre Dame's schedule this year. Might I... have been. Actually? Yeah. Yeah. So, so all I'm saying is I'm looking forward to the ACC MAC challenge when. Uh, by the way, Syracuse also has only two FBS teams in their state, and that's Mac's, the, the MAC uh, Buffalo Bulls as well as Army. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bulls. <laughs> yeah. Um, or you could start getting into, like, Fordham or I think Colgate or a bunch of those other, you know, Patriot League teams. Um, and then Boston College really only has one other in-state FBS team, and that's UMass. So... The Minutemen. I mean, sign up for the free square if you're Jeff Halfley in year one. So just just do it. Yeah, because there's not going to be that many freebies. Yeah. So all the point is here, Mike, is as you can see, this is going to be messy for some teams in trying to figure out, you know, if it's if it's one or two FBS teams that they have an option to play, or do you just take your chances trying to schedule an FCS team and hope that they can handle the financial burden that comes along with abiding by the ACC's testing protocols and procedures. And if you have an FBS team on your schedule already prior to this, uh, that was a non-conference game, as fun as it is to just say, yeah, my school will schedule somebody else instead, it's probably not going to happen, especially Mm -hmm. with the way the ACC laid this out. And I'm just going to throw this out here right now mike on july 29th um we are several weeks away from this from the season we don't have any of those games technically scheduled i'm just guessing they're going to change the rules at some point yeah i think that's a possibility and you know what joey i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say i don't even think the non-conference game gets played Ooh, oh that's an even hotter take right there so i don't think the game even gets played like are you going to tell me that they're really going to say, no, no, Pittsburgh, you absolutely cannot go play West Virginia? Like, bring back the backyard brawl or, or something like that just for the sake of, like, okay, well, they're not in your state, but, like, yeah, I guess this makes sense. You know, or, like, yeah, this is the best you can do or something, especially with money tied into it and all that. I mean, I'm just, 
I'm pessimistic that this rule gets 100% enforced, and I think it was, again, it was just designed to re- retain these SEC rivalries, and then they'll just figure out whatever we can for the other 11. Yeah, shout out SEC. Yeah. Yeah. I am so here for the Kenny Pickett backyard brawl experience. Oh, yes. Man, that would God. be good. Not to mention that pit defensive line in a nasty rivalry game. Now, to be fair, this rivalry game hasn't really been played since like any of these kids were in elementary school or whatever, so they don't even know why they hate West Virginia. But right. boy, do they have some boosters and donors who could catch them up on that history real quick, I bet. I, I agree. And I mean, today, Kenny Pickett thought that his biggest rival was the downfield pass, and now he gets <laughs> to go ahead and play against West Virginia in the backyard brawl. That would be so much fun. <sighs> It's not just red zone interceptions coming for you anymore, Kenny Pickett. Nobody is safe there on is this a, podcast. There is a full arsenal coming your way. Um, Kenny, Kenny Pickett, I'm sure, is a really nice kid. Yeah. And nobody is safe. Love you, Kenny Pickett. Nobody's safe. H- had that one game against Miami, by the way. I love him for it. How could you forget? Yep. Never forget. Um, Mike, we had one other little item on the agenda for the evening, and you tell me if we still want to do this or if we just forget it for now. It's the thing that we promised everybody we were going to do on the last podcast, um, which is basically give you a preseason, pre-preview conference projection that then we can revisit here in a few weeks after we've got all these team previews done. Yeah, let's go for it. All right, 1 through 15. Do you want to start from the top or the bottom? We're not doing records, are we? No, just just give me just 1 through 15 final standings projection God. From starting today. Okay, um, I'm not prepared. I, have, I told you I, I told you I would be, and I'm I'm just not. So I I am prepared more. only because I've been jotting notes like as you've been talking through this podcast, like trying to get my thoughts in order. You did you did what I should have been doing. <laughs> I do have this labeled 2020 standings projections, July 29th, 2020. Um, we'll probably put this in a museum one day, but yep. I I think it's easiest, Mike, if we start from the top and work our way down. And hell, if you wanted to give me a couple teams on the top and then give me a couple teams on the bottom and then we can work on filling in the middle, like however you want to do this, whatever you got to do. Okay. I'm actually a good ways through mine already. So, um, where are we starting? Um, we're going to start from the top because I just shot down. Who's your number eight team? I'm not at number eight yet. (laughs) I jotted down my first, my top six teams. All right. Are you ready? I am. Who's number one? Um, Number one is Clemson. Okay. I was I, As shocking as that is. I was a little concerned you were going to say anything else. Anyways, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's that's also my number one team, Clemson, obviously. Who's yep. number two? Number two for me is Notre Dame. I'm going to just throw you this curveball right here, Mike. Yep. I disagree. Okay. Who's your guess at who I got at number two? North Carolina. That is correct. Okay. And, and the reason that I have North Carolina at number two, they play Notre Dame at home. They do, and so that would be a tiebreaker. I think it's it's very real that like both those teams end up like ten and, or eight and two, and that would give North Carolina the tiebreaker. So give me the Tar Heels at number two, and okay. that obviously then gives me Notre Dame at number three. Okay. So who's your number three? My number three is Louisville. Ooh. My number three is Louisville. That's spicy. All right. Big believer in Scott Satterfield. I am. And I think Mikel Cunningham's really good, too. Yeah, I've got Louisville at number four, so I, I'm yeah. not, not far behind you. Okay. Who's your number my no- four? My number four team's Virginia Tech. A Caleb Farley-less Virginia Tech. Yep. 
Bujin Yia Tech. Interesting. All right. Yep. You are I higher on Virginia Tech than me. Yeah, I have I have Virginia Tech number four. Um, the reason why is because I thought um, now this was uh, pre Caleb Farley and kind of pre the schedule getting all thrown to shit. <laughs> but I thought um, I thought that Virginia Tech. I, I'm. I'm of the opinion that North Carolina is going to be very good. I'm also of the opinion North Carolina is one year away. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, Virginia Tech, more returning on offense, um, or, or just as much returning on offense. North Carolina's probably got more the more explosive offense. Um, I give Virginia Tech the edge on defense and on special teams. So I think it's another, another situation where you have a coin flip game. Um, I, I think they're going to miss Caleb Farley. So I think instead of, like, you know, Virginia Tech or North Carolina being like a two-point favorite in either direction. Maybe it goes up to maybe four points. Um, so, so do you feel okay about a Caleb Farley-less Virginia Tech playing against a downfield passing Sam Howell offense in Chapel Hill? I do. I really don't feel – I really – to be honest with you, I really don't – I really don't feel like – I feel like the Caleb Farley loss is substantial, and I think it does limit Tech's ceiling by a game, and maybe this is the game. Right, maybe mm-hmm. maybe this is a game. Yeah, but I don't think it's to the point where Virginia Tech goes from like a nine-win team to a seven-win team or an eight-win team to a six-win team because they lost Caleb Farley. Sure, just because they have so much depth, they have so much depth in the secondary. And I think their pass rush is going to be better, so I think it'll offset a little bit. Okay. I, I don't think they'll be as good as they could have been, but I think it's, you know, I think it's manageable. Okay, sure, no problem. So we got number five. Uh, I have North Carolina at number five. All right. I have – I'm going to regret this one day, Mike. Oh, boy. I have Pittsburgh at number five. Okay. I don't know. Every uh, – I, I, I keep listening to – and by the way, if, you, if you've if you also not uh, listened to the uh, Roddy Jones' new podcast, he's a friend of our, our show. Real good. Real good. He's been working some of the team previews. Let me tell you how good it was. Somebody the other day was talking me into Secretly Decent Duke. And I don't know how I feel about that. That gave, that gave me the uh, it gave me the, the the jibblies inside. Yuck. Yeah, not great. So uh, I listened to the Pitt preview today, and now I'm convinced that Pitt's going to be really good. So I don't know, just defense, and I think the way the schedule lays out. Again, we talked about Pitt being the fulcrum. Um, I think that they have some fortuitous games at home. Um, so I've got Pitt at number five, and I've got your Virginia Tech Hokies at number six. Okay. Okay. Who- number six for me is Florida State. Ooh, Florida State, all right. Yeah. So you've got Pitt um, down a little bit. I, I do, but not too much further. All right. I do. Um, I I totally agree with everything you said about Pittsburgh, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. I think they could be – there's a lot of variability with Pittsburgh um, where they could be a nine, uh, an eight- or nine-win team in, like, a 12-game schedule. So I guess now, like, a seven- or eight-win team. Sure. Or, like, a five-win team. Yeah. Like, there's probably three- to four-win variability there with Pitt. Yeah. What what Bill Conley would consider toss up games of those games where SP plus gives you somewhere between like a forty two and fifty eight percent chance of winning. Yep. It just it's kind of just coin tosses in a lot of them. So, um, I'm going to guess that some of those come up heads, but uh, you know you could see it going in a lot of different directions. Yep. Uh, number seven, I have Florida State. You have Florida State number six. I have Florida State number six. I have Pittsburgh number seven. Okay. I, as I said earlier, I think Florida State, I expect right now to run kind of really hot and cold. 
I, I think that they're going to be overall better in year one under Mike Norvell. I think that, that was, again, that was like a solid RBI double off the wall hire. It was not a full-on home run, but I think that was yep. a really good hire. Um, right. So I, I think that that's going to pay dividends pretty quickly. I think that he, especially one of the things that I think is underrated and that we're going to forget to mention a lot of case, in a lot of cases is Mike Norvell has a really strong track record of hiring assistants. And so it is not just him. It is his ability to put together a strong coaching staff that I think is really going to pay a lot of dividends for this team. I, I think that's fair. I'm just not sure how immediate it's going to be, like how immediately it'll hit. But yeah. um, I think they have enough talent, obviously, to be middle of the pack in the conference. Yep. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with them. And it wouldn't surprise me if they finish like 10th either. Yeah. I, I just think you never know in year one. But I think Norvell will certainly have them better coached. Yep. Can I guess your number eight team? Yep. The team that somebody is absolutely screaming at the radio right now that we haven't said yet. Miami. It is that team. It is that team. It's Miami. It is Miami. <laughs> yep. It's Miami. Yep. It's the Hurricanes. Um, this is a. It's it's prove it time, right? Yeah. Like we've talked about this on on the show. There's very high expectations because they are bringing in De'Ara King, and they are bringing in you know skill position talent on defense like defense side of the ball. Quincy Roche, right mm-hmm. from Temple. That that's a big addition. I just don't trust Miami's offensive line I don't particularly trust Miami's running game and until De'Ara King does it in the ACC and I think De'Ara King will be fine but until he does it in the ACC I'll I'll believe it when I see it Mm -hmm. I think Miami has a high ceiling like they always do they have the skill position talent that really only Clemson boasts in the entire ACC Mm -hmm. Um, or I guess Notre Dame in this case too (laughs) talking in this format Um, I, I just don't I don't trust Manny Diaz uh I'm just not real. High. I'm just not real high on Miami. I, it's yeah. it's a prove it. it it's I, I'm so sick of seeing them pick to like win the coastal in a in a perfect world in a real world that, that we normally live in. I'm so sick of seeing them being picked to win the coastal and then go seven and five. Yep. So uh, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, and, and to some degree, look at the schedule. I mean, yep. you've got road games at Clemson. That's a loss at Louisville. I don't like that. I don't like Miami's chances there. At Virginia yep. Tech has been a little bit of a house of horrors for Miami. And then you've got North Carolina and Pitt at home. I mean, if Pitt can neutralize Miami's defense, I mean, that's a that's probably a low-scoring game one way or the other. Um, but, I, I mean, I could easily see him losing all five of those games. And that's before we even mentioned Florida State or Miami's on a losing streak to Georgia Tech. Like, they got to play that game too. And right. So it's – I'm just throwing that little jab in there. But it, it's uh-huh. – I, I don't know that this sets up particularly well for Miami. And I don't think we really hit on that schedule that much earlier, but yeah, both of us have them at eight and Miami fans are super mad about it. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in probably one of our first previews. I'd have to imagine. Right. And and that means that we would have put Miami third or fourth, I guess, fourth in, in both of our standings here would have mm-hmm. put him fourth in the coastal. That's which probably not far off. I probably would have yeah. had him higher than third. Right. I mean, and that could have been a tiebreak situation for third, right, with Pittsburgh. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, who you got at number nine, Mike? I have Duke at number nine. Duke? Okay. So I'm a little bit higher on Duke, I think, than than most. I'm not, like, bullish, bullish on Duke. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think they'll be better than they were last year. Um, I keep talking about Chase Bryce, but it does make such a massive, massive difference. Yep. Right. Um, they really struggled with quarterback play. 
really, really struggled with it. And, and they had trouble running the ball, too. And I and I think the fact that they weren't able to move the ball really at all through the air with Quentin Harris really, really hurt them. Yep. Um, and they that's what they really missed about Daniel Jones. We talked about Daniel Jones's regression when he went from, you know, through his career from the time he was a freshman to the time he left Duke. And we talked about what kind of changed and, you know, he wasn't at his best, we felt like. And teams had adjusted to him. And Quentin Harris was nothing more than a bridge quarterback. And he was worse than I expected him to be. Yep. And I, I think it's an obvious upgrade with Chase Bryce. He looked good in limited time at Clemson. Again, it's with the Clemson playmakers. But I do think they'll at least be able to move the ball through the air, which will be an improvement. I think the defense will be manage- manageable enough. And um, I just think that the coaching at Cutcliffe can can get them to a bowl game. So yep. I, have, I have Duke at nine. I agree. And, and, and I don't have Duke much lower. I have him at 10. Um, I have him below Virginia at nine. Wow. And, and the reason I have him below Virginia at nine is Virginia has that game at home. So, yeah. so again, I mean, it's, it's, it's close, uh, but I've got Virginia nine, Duke 10. Um, who do you have at 10? I'm guessing it's not Virginia based on your response. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty low on Virginia okay. and a lot of Virginia fans are going to say that's tech bias. I just, <laughs> I, sure. Sure. That's what it is. Um, I have NC state at 10. Interesting. I have NC State at 10. I am much uh, lower on NC State than you are, but that's a shock to nobody at this point. Right. Um, Joey Joey secretly hates NC State the same way I secretly hate um, somebody. NC State just know. irritates me. Like, I want I want them to be better. They should be better. And anyways, please continue. NC State at 10. I think if NC State figures out what they're doing at quarterback, they'll be okay. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's enough talent on that roster. Um for them to be a manageable, like serviceable ACC team, yeah, and they should have been. They should have been that last year, in my opinion. They just missed the mark. Yeah, I think they, I f- think they figure that part out, and I think they'll be better. Um, so I have them at ten. They've got five games on their schedule that I would call at least solidly winnable. Right. Duke, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, all at home. Syracuse, Virginia on the road. Like, there's none of those that I'm going to write off NC State on just yet, for what that's worth. Right, and. I don't think the Pittsburgh game, I mean, I think Pittsburgh's better and they'll be favored, but I don't think the Pittsburgh game is necessarily like an automatic loss either on the road. Yeah. And, and, um, and I'm, yeah. Yeah. There, there's this, this works out well for NC state. They miss Clemson. They miss Notre Dame. They miss Louisville. Like they miss a lot of the better teams in the conference. Right. So it works out nicely for them. They're probably one of the bigger winners of this whole, whole schedule shuffling, to be honest. I agree, and I, I think the schedule plays out well for them, and I just think they'll figure out quarterback enough to just be a serviceable team with that schedule. Yep. Um, so I've got Duke at 10. You've got NC State. I've got Syracuse at 11. I have Wake at 11. Wake Forest at 11. All right. So I, I think – so here's the thing, right? So Jamie Newman's gone. Sam Hartman is back in. We saw Sam Hartman, and he's good enough. Um, we were actually both really high on Sam Hartman before we saw Jamie Newman play. Mm-hmm. And then we realized what Jamie Newman was, and we were wondering why he wasn't starting the entire time. And so now my opinion of Sam Hartman has changed drastically now that I saw Jamie Newman play. Mm-hmm. It's a step down at quarterback, Joey. Mm-hmm. But Sam Hartman bringing back the experience is important. The fact that he's played he played as a true freshman a couple of years back, and he's got the experience to, um, to go out there and run that offense. And he's... Um, He's in the position where I think, you know, coming to his third year with the program, they'll be more, 
adept to what he can and can't do offensively because he was just kind of coming out in the two-lane opener a couple of years ago, and it was just gunslinging time because yeah. Wake didn't really know what they were offensively. I think they have a better idea what their identity is going to be with Sam Hartman now, so I think Wake Forest will be better because of it. I'm not sure it's going to be good enough to get them to a bowl game because we talked about the schedule yeah. being just absolutely brutal. Um, but I, I think there are a few teams below them that are that are worse from a roster standpoint. So I have Wake Forest at 11. Yep, I've got them at 12. Um, again, schedule is just is brutal. Um, I've got Syracuse at 11, Wake Forest at 12. Once again, those two teams play. It's at Syracuse. I'll take the home team, and, and we'll just go with that. Um, who you got at 12? UVA. Virginia, okay. So I had them at 9. So you are, as we said, significantly lower on Bronco Mendenhall and the Hoos. I have no reason to believe that UVA can move the football offensively nearly to the degree that they did a year ago. Mike, Brennan Armstrong is as good, if not better, than Bryce Perkins. We've I know. We've learned that off of Twitter, if nothing we, else. We have, and our emails, and our <laughs> reviews of the podcast that we got one star for. And, I mean, there are just several places where they've explained to us how good Brennan Armstrong is. I've never seen him so hyped for a guy who's probably going to have, like, nine touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Do you not remember uh, all those Virginia comment sections last year asking, why is Bryce Perkins in the game? Shouldn't Brennan Armstrong be playing right now? I want to lose. I... I Tech fans, tech fans do that too, you know. Why isn't Quincy Patterson playing? Um, I, I don't want to take a shot at Quincy Patterson because I, I like him, and I, and I, I actually, I, I talk to him semi regularly too. So I don't want to sound like I don't want to just shit all over him. But Careful. like, Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker is a better all around quarterback right now. So that's mm-hmm. why he's getting the playing time. Um, if they were really comfortable with. Quincy Patterson is a starter. They would have let him throw more against Notre Dame last year. So I'll just leave that there. Which comes anyway, back to the Virginia situation. <laughs> it comes back to the Virginia situation because now you don't have Bryce Perkins. And you remember how hard it was for Wayne Tulipapa to run the ball last year? Mm-hmm. Brutal. Brutal. And I that mean, was with a quarterback to worry about in the run game. Virginia had one of the worst running games in college football if you take Bryce Perkins' rushing stats out of it. Yeah. They were horrible running yeah. the football last year. Yep. And now they have some combination of Keetion Thompson, however you say his first name, and Brennan Armstrong, and you're going to try to piece together some sort of mobility factor, right? They can both run a little bit. Um, and then how proficient are they as passers? We know the answer to that with Thompson, right? He's very raw as a passer. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen too much of Armstrong to know how good he's going to be when real-life bullets are flying. I just think the UVA offense is going to struggle a lot. And then the defense, I mean, they still have Charles Snowden at linebacker. He's excellent. But, you know, the defense has some holes to fill as well. I'm just not very high on UVA this year at all. At all. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I have Virginia at ninth. Like, that's still bottom half of the conference. Like, I don't think they're going right. to light the world on fire. But, you know, defensively, I think they're going to be okay. I think offensively, they're going to figure something out. Um, so, I, I just don't think that they're going to be one of the three or four worst teams in the conference. I do think there's going to be a good amount of drop-off on that offense. That's for sure. Um, but we'll have to find out. All right. You got Virginia at 12. Um, who you got at 13? 13, I have Syracuse. Syracuse. Okay. So, a little bit lower than me, but not too bad. Yeah. And it looks like we're going to probably I have just, the same bottom two teams. <laughs> we are. Yeah. BC and Georgia Tech. In um, some order. In that order for me. Yeah. In that order for me. So you got Boston College 14, Georgia Tech 15? I do. Ooh, ouch. 
I got Georgia Tech at 14 and Boston College at 15. Um, I have NC State at 13. You can't put them last, Joey. I, I mean, I can't. Can't do it, Mike. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I've got I've got Georgia Tech at 14. Again, I think they might be a little bit improved. I think they should be a, actually a decent amount improved, particularly on defense with some of the some of the transfers and uh, some of the guys are getting back from injuries on, on the offensive line and, and some things. But I I don't like how the schedule sets up, and I just I can't have any level of trust in in this offense without ever having seen it. So I've got Georgia Tech at 14. Boston College at 15. I think this is a hard restart. Maybe you get something out of Phil Jerkovich. Maybe you get something out of David Bailey. But, I mean, this is a Boston College team that wasn't particularly good and then lost everything that was good about it. So I, I think it's a hard restart for Boston College. Year zero. And, and just come talk to me in, in 2021 about what they're going to be. Maybe Boston College Georgia Tech game this year is a coin flip for worst team in the conference. Are they playing? Oh, they are in Chestnut are. Hill. Oh God, Boston College gets home field advantage. Georgia Tech has to fly all the way up the Eastern Seaboard. Man, yeah, Boston College. Boston College will be down like five fans from the total capacity. So yeah. So again, keep in mind Georgia Tech has home games, home games against Clemson, Louisville, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh, and Yuck. Duke. Um, Boston College, Florida State, Miami, NC State, and Syracuse on the road. I, I would call maybe, maybe five of those games like winnable at all. I would say Duke at home, NC State, Syracuse, Boston College, all on the road. And then if you want to really stretch for something winnable, maybe Pitt at home or Florida State on the road? Like, I don't know. I don't like it for Georgia Tech. It's not not a good look in terms of the you know the, the scheduling prospects here. Um, maybe they'll schedule like Mercer or something for an out of conference game and and they'll win that one. Uh yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully they win that one in before they schedule the hundred and thirteenth whatever installment of clean old fashioned hate, and that's a loss. So cool. Nice. Beautiful. All right. I got a list. I'm probably going to like take a picture and tweet it out and then we'll just be embarrassed in like three weeks. And so, and, and that's the other thing I want to do here, Mike, is I want to go through these team previews and then I want to come back, you know, a week or so before the season starts and I want to revisit this list. You know, if we have to make another one and then kind of compare the results, um, I want to see how our opinions change as we go through these team previews. My my list, I think, will change, especially in the middle. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with a lot of it. But, again, it's off the cuff. We just looked at these schedules today. There's other stuff to consider, too. So, so last thing I want to do is I want to look at these two lists that we just made. And I want to find where is the point that we would each say this is the last team on the list that could reasonably make the ACC championship game. Okay. All right. Yep. So with my list, I've got Clemson, UNC, Notre Dame, Louisville. And I might say stop, but if we want to be a little bit lenient, we'll say Pittsburgh and Virginia tech. And I'll say stop there. So again, we're we're taking the two teams that have the best conference record. I might go as far down as six, but I'm probably cutting it off at four, and realistically, probably just cutting it off at three. 
Mike, I'm going to start listing teams on your list. You tell me stop when we're going to hit the last chance of reasonably making the ACC championship game. Yep. Number one, Clemson. You got Notre Dame, Louisville, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Florida State, Pittsburgh, Miami. Stop. You got eight teams you think could make the conference title game? Yep. Hmm. My okay. eighth team is my eighth team is Miami. Yeah. And they have a ridiculously high ceiling. And that's why it took me so long to say stop. And it's I will point out too, it's also very worth mentioning. We have the same teams in our top eight and in our bottom seven. Yep. There is a clear definitive line there of quality as we expect it right now. I think any one of the eight teams that we have in our top eight, whatever order we put them, could make the ACC championship game. I think so. I don't know. It's hard for me. Again, I I would feel okay justifying an argument saying Clemson, UNC, Notre Dame, stop. Like, that I don't know that there's a reasonable chance that a team other than those three makes the title game. But for the sake of not having egg on my face in three months, let's include Louisville, Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech, and then I just don't think Florida State and Miami can put put it together for a full season. But, you know, I, I see what you're saying, too, is that there's some pretty high ceilings even at seven and eight on the list. There are. Like Miami every year has the talent. Yep. Virginia Tech played North Carolina six overtimes last year in yep. Blacksburg, yep. and they're returning the same team sans Caleb Farley at this point. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so it's just, I I think that there are some inflection points in this conference, especially yeah. with the new schedules. Yep. And that's why I think that more teams are going to have a shot at it than usual. Yeah. Which is great. It's it's great for the ACC. And maybe it doesn't end up playing out that way, but that's just kind of how it looks on paper. That's that's the last thing we should probably talk about. We've been going for an hour and a half. This is about it. Um, the last thing we should probably talk about is that this year is going to provide us with a lot of matchups of teams that we would not have otherwise seen play each other for a number of years after this. Yep. So that's that's cool. That's good. It's I great. like it. It's great if it works out. Yep. Uh, Mike, as I said, it's been an hour and a half. This is all I got. Do you have anything else before we uh, work on signing off here? I think we're good. I hope everybody enjoys this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, we, we put a lot of prep in, and there was a lot of diving into some details. And it is it is really cool, and I feel really fortunate that we were able to get this schedule provided to us like hours before hitting the button. Um, I would have been really, really irritated if, like I said on the last podcast, if this was released like tomorrow at 11 a.m. or something, and then, you know, we're just stuck sitting on our hands like well what do we do now so probably probably scrapping the entire podcast we just recorded most likely so yeah this is great um hopefully you guys have enjoyed it um mike we are going to get out of here we do need to start doing some team previews those are going to start rolling here over the next few days we're we're talking football it feels weird i can't believe it's the end of july Mm -hmm. uh just because of how this year's gone but hopefully we do continue down this path where we try to play football and that's let's take it by, day by day and see where we land. And yeah, we're on to team previews. Yep. And and there will be a lot more news updates coming in terms of again who are the out of conference teams and are other players dropping out and what adjustments are we having to make in the five weeks or so before this actually fully starts for real. 
Um, so we will keep you informed as we find out. But yeah, we've got some uh, team previews we're going to be starting up. It's real football, as, as real as it gets for this time of the year. So uh, we look forward to bringing that to you. Um, Mike, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back and start recording those. In, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever you find podcasts are sold for free. And Mike, do you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have and share us with your friends. You've got your ACC friends in your life, people that love Duke and Syracuse and Florida State and all them. Like, give us, give them, you know, share the podcast with them. They might love it. Yeah. They, they probably will love it. Everybody loves this podcast. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I left us a good review one day, so we hope you will do the same. We have a we have a few good reviews, and then there are the UVA fans. Which... <laughs> sorry, yeah. not sorry. Yep. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? Uh, ironically, they're the same people who don't like my Virginia Tech podcast. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? Uh, you want to come back and re- start I'm recording sensing, some team previews? That's a trend. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. All right. Well, let's do that. Uh, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. Welcome back. We are excited to start Season 5. And until next time, go ACC. Yeah!